Welcome everybody to Looking for the Ocean, where we talk about everything that Pixar has ever made and what it means to us. I'm Mark Young. I'm joined, as always, by Danny Vincent. And Danny, I can't believe you are not excited about this episode, because I watched it and I loved this short, so I want to know why you hate it. This is it. easily the worst thing in the Toy Story franchise. Fuck you. Uh... Okay. Why? <laughs> I feel like you're purposely goading me for that, because you knew that was my take on it, Mark. That's why I'm coming in aggressive here. And... Actually, that's not true. That's not true. Small Fry is still worse than this. You know what? I'll, I'll put that. I'll, I'll, I'll correct myself. Small Fry is still worse than this. This has moments no. where it's decent. Uh, well, I point to Toy Story of Terror. I like, This is perfect. This is an exercise in genre parody that still works really well. It's a nice little short film that furthers the characters I care about. And I look at this where it is tangibly related to Christmas. It is... The least Christmas Christmas special ever. It's constantly aired alongside other Christmas specials. Uh, just because it has the Toy Story gang in it. But I posit that it doesn't even have the Toy Story gang in it. It has an addition to the Toy Story gang who is illy defined to us up to this point as just the new character. We try to get this drama around her being like, she's obscure. She's... We try to give her this character where she's like, she's a little sad. She's never played as a dinosaur. But I'm like, okay, I don't know who this character is. Like, I don't know who Trixie is. Like, I don't care about her on this level. Those words coming out of her mouth don't remind you of some, like, trans story of someone wanting to be seen as they see themselves? No, it doesn't. I think that's such not... a big stretch. <laughs> what do you mean? It's not a stretch at all. She's like... Oh, man, I always have to play the reindeer, and I always have to play the this and the that, and I just want to be played with as a dinosaur, like you, Rex. What? How does that have to do with the trans narrative? A, I wrote essays on trans narratives in college. What you're saying well, is, I like, know, I know she, that wants you have to, personal she wants to conform with, like, to what... Trans like, what? She, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm mocking you for saying you wrote an essay about it. No, I'm no, saying... I'm saying what, what, that this is like, what, and what, what, this is a thing about how she wants to conform to society, not that she wants to, like, be seen as, like, performing something. This would be, like, someone who's, like, oh, I, what? <laughs> like, what? Well, it's not, I mean, maybe it's not just about, like, being trans, but I think it is about wanting to be accepted in the, in the same way that you see yourself, you know? She sees herself... As a dinosaur, which, uh, you know, she's a dinosaur, she's a triceratops, and Bonnie's always playing with her as a reindeer. But she, she is a triceratops. She does present as a triceratops. There's no trans narrative of her being like, I would like to be appearing as how I appear exterior to people already. It's just Bonnie doesn't understand how toys, like, how things, Bonnie has too much imagination. And Dana's like, oh, just kidding, she has a great amount of imagination. I don't see on any level how this is a trans narrative. Uh, she already I mean, presents as a Triceratops. She is a Triceratops in every way of being. It's just that Bonnie has an imagination that's her beyond it. I think the metaphor makes no sense here. As someone uh, who's I, written trance metaphors. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like you're being too, a little too literal. It's about self-actualization. Okay, but like, in that regard, Mark, anything can be a trans narrative in animation. Well, Which is fine of, and good. We're, like we're both cis always, people uh, here. I don't know why you're bringing trans issues into this short film when I feel like no one has ever read this short film as a trans narrative. I look at this short film and I'm like, 
what are you getting this from? I feel like it's just like, ooh, look at look at how edgy this thing is. It's a piece of transfic. No, it isn't. Kristen Shaw is in trans. No one involved it's in this production. Kristen is- Shaw isn't trans, but like, are there literally trans characters in the Matrix? And it's like, I think you have well, a better argument of trans narratives in Pixar and Toy Story with Forky being a non-binary fork, spork, and then at the end it's like, just kidding, we have to fit him into the gender binary. Well, I mean, sure, but that's kind of like, I don't know why Forky being non-binary is like, I don't know, like Forky's non-binariness isn't like part of his story, you know? Like Forky is, Forky's Forky's kind of lost and I feel like I feel I feel like Forky really highlights depression and and like a sense of not belonging but that's different from you know not not being seen by other people can, can, can we table a trans narrative thing for a bit we can come back to it. you didn't even let me finish talking about why i don't like this you're just like well don't you think it's a great trans film like no i don't i disagree with <laughs> me, you and i immediately want to let you know me, me not thinking it's a trans it's not a great narrative trans has film. nothing to do with me not liking the film though also i think it's just i think it focuses on a character i don't give a shit about i don't know i think danny hates trans narratives I think I literally, I, you know what, I'm going to give you this this little tangent that you're not even going to want right now, which is that, you remember that game I used to play? That, that game? What, what on earth could that mean? The game where it's like, I was online, I was like, like making those movies, and it was like, it's like, here's the outline, and here's like the cast, and here's like, we're going to discuss it, you know? You don't remember um, this at all, even though I've brought it up several times on the oh, podcast. Oh, the, the forum game. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I was I was kind of defending my... I was mentally defending my own argument, and I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'm right. It's just, like, not the not the biggest part of the short. But anyway, anyway all right. So I'm you go still back to go your on game. I'm because you keep bringing up trans, this, making a trans film, and I vehemently disagree with that. Uh... <laughs> I mean, now, it's, here's, here's it's not, Actually, it's here's, not here's, because here's it goes really the to thing. who knows really what else. It's like a trans scholar came up to me, or like a trans guest came up, I was like, this is a trans narrative. I'd be like, interesting, let me hear that out. But the fact that you're coming here, this is like, no, I think you're trying to assign like deepness to this film that does not have any deepness. No, I mean, I think it's it's not like the film inherently has to have deepness. That's kind of a ridiculous thing to say. I think that like, it's it's just that, I've ar- I mean, I've already laid it out there. This is like Trixie's struggle, is that other, is... other people see okay, her okay. differently. I want, I want to, I want, we, we can talk about this. I, I do want to talk about this more because I, I feel like I'm still, I feel like, I'm sorry, I still want to argue this, but I want to give you this tangent, okay? Okay, okay. The game you played, you're on the forum. Yes, and I great, yes. create this great film, although I, I admit it has flaws. It's an adaptation of a book that came out when we were kids called Birdwing. Do you remember Birdwing? If you don't, it's fine. No. I'm gonna give a sum up to the listeners anyway, because it's not a very, like, I think it might have like been nominated for a Newbery Award. Like, it was, it was a decently like successful among like critics of like a kid, like young adult fiction, but it wasn't like, I don't think it was very, very successful. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was just, it was a book. Anyways, Birdwing is like a sequel to the, um, I think it's a Grimm's fairy tale or maybe a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale of like the Seven Swans, where Seven Swans, if you remember that one, it's like. There was an evil witch who uh, married the dad and turned all the heirs to the throne into swans. And the sister, who would never be the heir to the throne, found out this 
And she's like, I need to save my brothers. And she had seven years to be in absolute silence and sewing these, like, chainmail things or whatever. And this is why the film was bad, because I had to go through all this exposition for 20 minutes in the beginning of the movie. I was like, here's this fairy tale that no one knows about, and then I'm going to adapt the book afterwards. But anyway, but the way it is, is, like, at the end of the fairy tale, she didn't finish the last sleeve of, like, the magic, like, sweaters or whatever. And it was like, she was going to get burned at the stake, but at the last minute, she was able to save her brothers, banish the evil witch, and reclaim her throne as, like, you know, now she would be the inherited person, because she married someone, right? Uh, and her dad, and it's just, you know, it's silly, like, you know, but the thing was, because she didn't finish the last, last sleeve, the youngest brother came back with still the bird wing, like, attached to him. Like, everyone else became human again. But anyway, I wrote a movie about this, where the argument was, is that in the original book, he is like, I, I don't even remember how the book went, honestly. I just kind of took the premise and ran with it, you know? I said, like, this book's stupid. I can come up with my own story off of this thing. Uh, adaptation in name only. And it was a trans narrative, because the idea was he longed to be a bird, even though no one wanted him to be a bird. They just wanted him to be a human. Uh, and the thing was, everyone read it, and this is where I'm saying, like, it's very possible I'm wrong here, Mark. But everyone, uh, the negative reviews on it were like, this film uh, villainizes disability because this guy has a bird wing and it's like treated as a disability in the narrative. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, I feel, because the thing was, people, it wasn't like this was just, the people who liked the thing saw what I was going for. You get what I mean? Because at the end, it's like, he becomes a bird and he's much more happy there. And it doesn't mean that he has to lose connections with his family and his friends, but... Mm -hmm. He's, he can go off and be his own person, and he doesn't need to be shackled to what he was born as. You know what I, like, I feel like that was a very obvious, like, this is what the narrative is, right? Okay. Uh, but people were like, wow, I can't believe this thing is like, he has to get rid of this disability he has where his, like, arm, his wing doesn't work. And that's why he wants to become a bird, is so that way he's normal. I'm like, that's not what I'm going... Anyway... Hmm. This all just came up because you were like, this is definitely a trans narrative. And I, I mean, I feel like it's not, but I also can be on the other end of the argument where like, I worked really hard on this thing that was designed to be a trans narrative. And people were just like, wow, Danny, you hate people who like have broken arms, like who don't no, have broken arms, who like are missing an arm. And it's like, well, no. <laughs> may, I mean, maybe you just don't have the juice. Not everyone can be, you know, cis man Steve Purcell. You just know, you say that, but, you know, there were several people... See, that was the thing. It was like a love it or hate it thing, where it's like people who were hung up on, like, the disability thing hated it, and most people were, like, willing to, like, actually read and, like, have media literacy were like, oh, wow, this is actually, like, a really ambitious story he's trying to tell, like, in the framework of, like, a Disney musical. Because um, mm -hmm. it was designed to be, like, a Disney musical type of thing. Um, yeah. Fairy tale type of thing. Uh, but... All that said, I don't think this is a trans narrative at all. Here, here is my real-life justification for that, and I do think that it's more about self-actualization, but it, it just, because of the language they use, my brain immediately goes to trans people I've known, specifically in situations where, you know, in acting, you know, you might have uh, a trans person who is, is like, I, like, I'm a trans woman, so I want to be cast as women and you might have casting directors who don't see them that way. And I think we both, we, like we both know people like this 
and that's I mean that's that's kind of what I'm saying is like in any situation like that you have the person is like you know this is what I am and this is what I go out in the world to do and then you have other people who are like well I want to I want you to be this role because this is the way that I that I see you you know but here's why it doesn't work to me Mark is because she already presents as a dinosaur Trixie, by all intents and purposes, is a dinosaur. And then she is forced into being these other roles by Bonnie, which she doesn't want to do. And by the end, she's like, actually, you know what? I do want to do that. That's not a trans narrative. The impetus is not on Trixie self-realizing that she is a dinosaur or like she is something else. Because she is still a dinosaur at the end. She's a dinosaur, but then she's all these other things. Like, yeah, I, well, I, I, I mean, just... the, the ending complicates my reading like that, but I think the opening... Is that's that's my you issue with my, the my film is that it really about trans like, issues. Yeah, we talked about this thing on the the podcast. I mean, I'd love to I would love to read what you have to say about trans issues, but well, no, my I paper haven't. on on like an animated film and trans issues, right? Yeah, I yeah. Will, you talked about that uh, you know that dog guy. Yes, I don't remember if I talked about like, on mic or not. Yeah, we, remember, we talked about it on mic. Okay, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. I think that is like something where it's like. This is so clearly like an anti-trans piece of propaganda. And I'm like, to me, this is too complicated to label as trans or anti-trans propaganda. Because I really don't read it as, as trans at all. It's to me. It's, I'm just like, I'm at such a loss at how you got that out of this. Well, me, I mean, if you... To me, it's something you, where it's I, like, it's like, is How to Train Your Dragon a trans nerd? It can be, if you want it to be. Uh, is Cloud of Chance Meatballs a trans narrative? It can be, if you want it to be. I would not diminish any trans artist or trans viewer coming to me with that as their opinion. But for you coming in with that as your opinion, I just feel like, this is a stretch, man. I hate to be very blunt. Like, as someone who's like I looking into entering film academia, and this is a subject that interests me as a cis dude, I probably shouldn't be having this opinion. But it is also just something where I'm like, <laughs> you're, I'm at such a loss of where your down. evidence is. I, I just don't see any evidence here for it. The, the thing mean, is the much ev- more focused than like, first... here is the society of toys. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's kind of my issue with the short is that it, it, to me it's divided. It, it, I mean, it, it muddles the character arc of Trixie because Trixie wants to be played with as a dinosaur, right? So that's that's the first five minutes of the short is her setting that up. And then she goes to the realm of the battlesaurs, and suddenly she's around all these dinosaurs. But the whole the whole bit of the battlesaurs is that they're not dinosaurs. They're dinosaurs who have been transformed by some alien force, and they have weaponry and stuff. And then they give all of that to Trixie, and then Trixie's like, "Oh my gosh!" Oh, yeah, I forgot to watch that video. So cool. Sorry. It's very cool, and it's uh, it, it gives important there, backstory on the dinosaurs. Uh, I don't know, page? but it's like it's like a minute long. I mean, it's like Should 30 seconds. Should I watch seconds, it right now while you that. talk? Yeah, sure. It's by uh, an animation studio that I really like. Um, studio Trigger did. So anyway, I guess we're, we're kind of jumping around now. But uh, Studio Trigger did a fake anime opening for the fictional Battlesaurs TV show. And this movie is about when Bonnie takes her toys over to a friend's house... The toys find that this kid has all of these battlesaurs action figures, 
but he doesn't play with the Battle Swords action figures a whole lot, so they don't really know that they're toys, and they take this society of Battle Swords very seriously. And for Trixie and Rex, they're like, oh my gosh, this is really cool, and everyone else is like, wow, we're, we're suddenly being held hostage and used in their, you know, gladiator fights and whatever. And then the film kind of ends when they get Bonnie, and then they have a realization that, like, oh my gosh, playing with toys is better than playing video games and something like that. I really anyway, think I just should... watched the video. Um, yeah. Gotta say... It's sexy little... animation. That's all there is to but it. it. It shouldn't be sexy animation. This feels like, this feels like your Sicario take, where it's like, why do they go to such effort to make a beautiful animated thing for something that's clearly designed to be like an 80s toy line? It should be well, shitty animation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean some, some of Thundercats looks pretty good, you know? Have you watched, like, just the old one clips or the from original? that? The original one. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. Well, I mean, there you go. It's it's it looks like '80s animation, but it's still like there there is impressive stuff in it. It doesn't look like Studio Trigger. I just I'm a fan of Studio Triggers, like they did the Star Wars Visions twins, and their first TV show was Kill a Kill, which came out when I was in high school, and I mean I don't know that show has probably I almost guarantee that show has like aged in a very grotesque way but that was a big part of me growing up so learning they did a little thing on this Pixar DVD was like oh my gosh I've, I want to go watch that and I had a great time watching 30 seconds of cool animation alright so I'm pretty sure but, Mark said some stuff when I was watching the short the, the, the theme song that I disagreed with because I heard it very vaguely And all right, here, I think, here, didn't I just, just describe the plot oh, I forget what I said when here is my problem it. with this short as someone who loves not as, don't necessarily love Christmas, but I like writing Christmas media or like watching Christmas media. Is this is so? It's not only that it's not Christmas enough; it's constantly on the verge of being Christmas, and then it backs away. One thing that bothers me so much in this short, and it bothers me every time I watch it, because I've seen this way too many times, because it's always on at Christmas. I'm flipping channels, and it's like, well, it's Toy Story. Just put it on. I'm like, all right, and I just kind of roll my eyes at it because I think it's terrible. Um, is there's a scene where it's like she's explaining what it's like to be a toy and he goes she goes it's giving yourself up to a child and it's like giving oh okay christmas and then when he has this big realization i think he's like oh surrender and i'm like no no it's a, it's a christmas thing you should be like i have to give myself or something like that you know and it just gets me so frustrated because it's like okay how is this about christmas it's not it's not on any level. We have a we have an ornament that makes Christmas jokes occasionally and just kind of exists among the world of this short. And it's just so... It's like that character is just there because it's like, oh shit, we forgot we are supposed to be making a Christmas special. And I'm like, you were forgetting to make a Christmas special. You should have just made a Christmas special. There are so many cool things you can do in the world of Toy Story for Christmas special. Uh, I don't know. I kind of liked the, that it wasn't... It was unexpected. It would be kind of a nice... Not a palate cleanser, but something unusual in the usual string of Christmas movies, you know? I disagree. I think there are already Christmas things that exist that don't, aren't Christmassy, right? Like, we can watch Iron Man 3 or Shazam if we want a, like a badass break from Christmas. We're not going to watch the Toy Story Christmas special where they become gladiator T-Rexes. Like, well, why, why not? Because it, it just feels, it's not, it doesn't have the vibe. It doesn't have the, there's nothing, okay, because Christmas is two things, right? 
Christmas is either sappy and like sweet, or it's like depressing as shit, and you're dealing with how everyone else is happy. And this is neither of them. There's never a line drawn between Trixie's um, disillusionment to Christmas. There's nothing about like it's just a play date. It's like oh, we're on a play date on Christmas. No, you're not. This should be your cousin that you're going over for Christmas afternoon. Like it's just a play date. What are you talking about? Like. There's no well, new toy. Like, the only thing that is, like, oh, he got all these battle swords for Christmas. Lucky kid. Okay. All right. And I think it takes place two days after Christmas, right? They said, like, we've been out for two days and he haven't been played with. Yeah. But it's also, like, I just think it's such a missed opportunity. I love Christmas. I love Christmas specials. I love shitty Christmas specials. We're probably going to talk about a shitty Christmas special later this year. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm saying I don't know because I know we have it on the schedule, but I have never seen it, so I don't know if it's a good Christmas special or a bad Christmas special. But I think about, like, Which, how, like... What? Which one is that? Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll eventually say it, Mark. It's... Okay, well, uh, you can look at it. Uh, it's a surprise. Uh, never mind. But, um... But... I think even, like... I, I point to, like, the Pinky and the Brain Christmas specials, like, the ideal Christmas special. You remember the Pinky and the Brain Christmas special, right? Mark, this is when you say no because I have to explain to the listeners anyway. Any Pinky and the Brain. All right, well, Pinky and the Brain. Uh, Pink, uh, do you want me to sing the whole song? Should we just cut to the chase? No. You don't want me to cut to the chase? All right. It's Pinky no. and the Brain. No. <laughs> what, is, what is their Christmas special? Oh, wait, well, is it okay, great? so Pinky and the Brain. Pinky and the Brain is about these two laboratory mice who want to take over the world. Pinky's the idiot, and the Brain is obviously the Brain, right? One is a genius, sure. the other is insane right um and the joke is always you know like the brain is actually great and pinky always messes up his schemes and in the pinky and the brain christmas special ooh, i want to get this right because it is like really great but basically the brain is about to actually succeed for once um let me look it up i'm sorry i want to get this right i want to get this right because the pinky and the brain christmas special makes me cry <laughs> like, <laughs> um because pink well, my point is like the pinky and the brain should not work in a christmas special setting right um, and it does, because at the end it's like okay. Let me look at this. Uh, the brain develops like a toy that's gonna help. Um, you know, the basically it's gonna brainwash everyone into making him the world leader, right? Because that's what the brain wants. Sure. They break into Santa's workshop. Send a basically they. It's a big funny special. Where it's like we're trying to uh get these all out. We're disguised as elves, and eventually like they. You know, the elves figure it out. Uh, Brain and Pinky escape. Uh, and the entire time, Pinky's like, Oh, Brian, what go? And this is how Pinky actually talks. This isn't me doing a bit. This is Pinky's voice. Pinky's like, Oh, Brian, if we're going to see Santa Claus, can't I give him my Christmas? And the Brain's like, No, Pinky, no. You can't do that. My Pinky, my Brain is not as good as my Pinky. It's Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> the Brain is just Orson Welles. Uh, but then, um, at the end... You know, the special, like, you know, they all fail. And the brain discovers that Pinky realizes that the brain never delivered his list. And Pinky starts crying. And the brain's like, shut up, Pinky. This is so dumb. Like, blah, blah, blah. Let me read your dumb letter to Santa. And it's just like, uh, Pinky asks, like, hey, Santa, I'm very happy with my life. But the brain is always mad and sad. And I'd like you to give brain everything he always wanted because he might be on the naughty list. But I think he deserves better than what he's been given, or something like that. And like the brain is like, oh shit, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and like it very emotionally works. And at the end, the brain is like, uh, Pinky succeeds, and the brain is like, I can't do this right now. Like I need to be here for my friend. 
And then he's like, everyone needs to like, like the brain gives up for the day. And then Pinky, on the end, you know what he gives the brain? What? A keychain with a globe on it. He gives the brain the world because Pinky, the brain's always asking for the world. It's perfect. It's it's a silly special where they like, they in, do anarchy and sand, but you still get that sweet bit at the end. And you don't get that here. You just get the standard montage of them playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just not a big fan of like the themes of Christmas. You know, they did. Well, it's a Christmas special, so you have to be. You can't be like, well, this is a great Christmas special because it's not a Christmas special. No, it fails at what its main intent to be. Uh, I mean, I mean, sure. You know, we can assume that it is meant to be one thing or another. I feel like, you know, if you take it on its own terms, it's about, you know, doubting your place in... But it's not on its own terms. This airs alongside Charlie Brown Christmas in The Grinch. Does this fit with Charlie Brown Christmas in The Grinch? Well, I mean... Does this fit with Deck the Halls or even Shrek the Halls? I, you know, I, I couldn't say because I'm not going to sit in front of a television and watch, like, The Grinch and then Charlie Brown Christmas and then this. I'm going to put this you know, on for work and then I'm going to go back to watching I'm going to demand for next McCabe year's Christmas special. Miller. I'm going to demand for next year's Christmas special because we already have this one locked in that we have to watch all of the other reindeer because I've the been movie? wanting to watch all, talk about all of the other... Yeah, I've been wanting to talk about all of the other reindeer for years and it's so great. And it's a Christmas special that everyone should watch. Hmm. Ah, I didn't... It makes me emotional, and it's got good songs. Ah. Well. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I don't... I don't know if... Mark hates Christmas. I like It's a Wonderful Life, but even that is about, like... Like, am I a worthwhile member of the community that I'm in, you know? Which is what Pinky and the Brain Christmas is about. Yeah, I don't know if I, like, totally got that from... <laughs> it's okay, I kind of screwed the script. Yeah, I mean, I don't, well, whatever. So, I don't, I don't know, I just, like, I don't care that it's not super Christmassy, that's all. I think that my counter to that is that... It's basically just what I said, is, like, I would rather watch a show about this dinosaur society where they fight people to prove how cool they are and banish the outsiders and that okay, kind of thing. Okay, but here's the other problem. So, the other problem with this short, in my opinion, is it actually be better if it was like... I always say, like, you know, not, not that it should be titled as... I'm fine with Toy Story 3 being Toy Story 4, but I once heard someone say, Toy Story 4 should be titled as Woody, a Toy Story story. And I'm like... Okay, I see what you're getting from there. Because it's not... Because the Toy Story trilogy is, like, about that whole group. Even if Woody's the main character. And then Toy Story 4 kind of, like, jettisons them all just to focus on Woody and new characters with a Buzz subplot to keep Buzz involved, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that sentiment. And the reason I bring that all up is because I think forcing Buzz and Woody into this narrative just feels frustrating. Because I want to spend time on a Christmas with those two. And it's like, well, they got kidnapped by dinosaurs and Rex is going to eat them. I'm just like... Why are they even here? Like, they really don't need to be in this narrative at all. Trixie has no connection to them as far as we know. This should be about Prickle Pants and, like, you know, like, the other, the doll. I forget their name. You know, the Bonnie Hunt doll. I can't relate to Woody. I, I find him too successful. I would much rather spend Christmas with fucked up dinosaurs. 
That's not what I'm saying, Mark. Did you hear what I just said? Let me repeat my point. I'm saying Woody shouldn't be in this short film. I'm saying if they want to do this whole idea, it should have Prickle Pants, Buttercup, and the doll from Bonnie Hunt. It should not have our main Toy Story characters because they are a distraction. Rex is the only person here who makes sense. Heck, have it, Ham go with that. that. That's, have Ham and Potato Head go with that. That's not how you sell a short, though. You know... Great, we're going to have Buzz and Woody run around and do action scenes. That's why we're going to sell the short. Look at Woody dodging and weaving like he's in Rocky. And look at Buzz turning on his helmet for a gag and then immediately taking it off once they want to actually like have a scene. I mean, it was a pretty impressive little fight sequence. I was happy with the choreography. I think the direction... I mean, I actually did... I was going to say, I actually like that scene. That's the only time I like Buzz and Woody in this because it, it shows here's their different fighting styles. And it's like, well, that's cool, I guess. I'm glad I know how Woody and Buzz fight differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is, you know, it, I don't know. But, but to, to speak more, I mean, I think the film does have some pretty exciting direction, you know, in that there's that beginning moment, too, where Bonnie passes over Trixie and then goes for the cat and makes the cat the dinosaur, and then the camera tilts down back to Trixie under the tree, and it's all it's i think it's all in like two shots it's very impressive and just the blocking of that scene is exciting because she's like oh the dinosaur is laying eggs and she's bringing the cat down the tree as the camera tilts down with them uh through the like christmas baubles back down to trixie so there's that i think it's cool when the dinosaur sees the box that he came in and then he steps into the little outline and I think that it's a little overwrought and maybe not Christmassy, but it's kind of cool when he like says surrender and then he falls back into the kid's arms again. And just in general, I find the, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoy the world a, a lot because this is the kind of thing that I, I would probably enjoy watching as a kid, even though I was probably just watching like straight Star Trek. I wasn't watching a lot of like He-Man or anything like that. I mean, but do you like the message of it all? What? Video game bad. Yeah, this is why I think you should watch Pixar's sodas, because they really highlight for me, in in a lot of ways, like, the fundamental... I'm gonna watch a podcast, good call. Well, Sorry. remember, Sorry, it's, it's, it's a real dirty. film that we will some may someday review. Um, but that hi that really highlights the cranky old manness of a lot of Pixar, and in some ways, like, the conservativeness. I think it's... It's interesting that that is there because it seems like such an obvious mistake to, you know, say that, oh, you're watching you're watching this kid play video games and isn't he so wrapped up and he's, like, controlled by the games. But, you know, uh, action figures like He-Man and Thundercats and all of that, they were created with a, like, with a tie-in show to kind of trap kids into playing these characters to have a certain narrative. And I mean, even Woody had that with his his little show that, you know, we saw in Toy Story 2. So it's funny or Combat that, Carl. Yeah. I mean, allegedly, we, we never we never found his short film, but it's just... It was on the DVD I returned from the library. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny that they, like, it really is like them being like cranky old weirdos for some reason because they're like oh man aren't these kids weird they're like playing video games but then you bizarrely contrast that with toys which were created 
to have the same amount of control over children that video games have, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think it's interesting because also, you know, the same time as it's coming out, we have Wreck-It Ralph. And Wreck-It Ralph posits that video game characters have their own world. Yeah, and that's pretty compelling. I think that's a real thing. And it's an interesting argument to say that video game characters have their own life. But I think that in real life, you know, it's like something like Minecraft is not uncreative, you know? You're always kind of playing within the constraints of it, whatever medium you're using. To me, also, the short does acknowledge that to- video games have their own place in the Toy Story franchise anyway, because obviously, too, the whole subplot of Rex is about video games. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea that, in a way, video games are the toys for the toys, but of course, the short never really acknowledges that, even though 2 does a good job of being like, wow, video games allow toys to like have something to play with, mm-hmm. you know, in this world. Yeah. Um... What was I going to say? I was going to say something when you were talking, and then you went on a video game tangent, but so I lost it because it had nothing to do with the video games. Mm-hmm. What I was oh, I was going to I remember what I was going to say. It kind of reminds me that you were saying about Pixar soda. It reminds me of um when the first promo image came out for at the time it was called Connected, and it was just all these kids looking at their the entire family looking at the phone, the dad being grumpy, and that movie became The Mitchells versus the Machines. And the entire time, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller and the director, I think his name is Michael Rianda, um, were all going around going like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, this movie isn't just foam bad, foam bad. Don't worry, it's not foam bad. And the movie comes out, and, you know, reviews are like, this movie is so great. It, it um, represents a generation divide. And I see the movie, I still give it a 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd, because I do even get its cool animation. It has funny moments, and it's got a good emotional heart to it. But then, you know, it kind of grew off of me, and I just keep going, like, and I think this is for a lot of, like, people who don't like that movie, they'll be like, Oh man, that movie was so great. Phone bad, phone bad. Because <laughs> it is really, it didn't end up ultimately just being, if you saw that movie, it really is just, the message is still just phone bad. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I felt when I saw like the kit pan over the video games and buying like, oh, video games. And she just immediately starts playing and is hypnotized for it. I go, video game bad. <laughs> bad. Yeah. I mean, it's, I wish that we had people who were a little more like reflective about the things that they enjoyed as children but we've decided to watch yeah, all the films of pixar so i mean eventually we'll get to stuff that's very like loving video games like turning red like isn't there like a whole yeah yeah the tamagotchi plays in that movie so perfectly and it's like clearly comes from a place of nostalgia for those like dumb little toys as kids yeah the tamagotchi yeah um and, like, you know, I think eventually, I mean, I don't know, like, not not Pixar, but we'll eventually cover it. I think the Spider-Verse movies have a clear love for, like, not video games, but a different medium that I feel like Pixar might be, like, mm, comic bad, read real book, you know what I mean? <laughs> Although, granted, The Incredibles kind of exists in that realm already, too, but... Uh-huh. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't know. It's all just kind of... I should write, like, weird. a parody film for Pixar where it's, like, the, the argument is literally comic book bad Mm -hmm. read real books yeah uh well yeah i mean you know what i also think about this Mm -hmm. what this is just very random for some reason every time i watch this i think steve zahn is in it who is that steve zahn acclaimed character actor steve zahn acclaimed character actor steve zahn i mean i might actually you know what i just made honestly like just in this moment i made the connection why i think steve zahn is in this Mm mm-hmm is because he plays the pterodactyl in The Good Dinosaur, and it's, like, the exact same design here. Mm-hmm. 
Do you know who Steve Zahn is? Steve Zahn. Uh, you know, I've definitely seen him in something, but I, I really don't know who Steve Zahn is. Uh, according to Le- uh, not Letterboxd, Wikipedia, he's most famous for Reality Bites, Stuart Little, Shattered Glass, Sahara, Chicken Little, Diary of a Wimpy Kid Trilogy, Dallas Fibers Club. This is such a long known for thing. Mm-hmm. Shattered Glass, The Good Dinosaur, War for the Planet of the Apes, Treme, The White Lotus, and Happy Texas, mm-hmm. which he won the Indie Spirit Award for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of those things, but yeah. Anyway, I mean, I don't know. Roger rules. Roger rules. Are we ever gonna do a Sam and Max thing? Because I didn't know until now that Steve Purcell, the writer director, is the guy that uh, made them. You'll see that I added that to the bottom of our thing, where it's like. Uh, possible things to go back to that we missed by accident. Okay. <laughs> it's at the bottom of the dock yeah. for stuff co- like that. Co-directors like the co-director of Brave don't matter, although this one did direct Sam and Max. Who is the co-director of Brave who doesn't matter? You're talking about Brenda Chapman? No, Steve Purcell was the co-director of Brave. Oh, you're right. You're, right, you're, right, you're right, you're right. I mean, he made Sam the, and Max. He directed a short, so he, he did a full directing thing. He did a full That's directing thing, so it counts. Do you have any... Also, honestly, Kemp Powers doesn't... Kemp Powers is just a co-director of Soul, but he's on our list of directors, so... Do you have any, like, more wisdom about this film? I don't know. I just find it very frustrating. I find it just, like... I go to a Toy Story movie and hang out with my toys, right? And this is, like, hang out with toys you don't know for 20 minutes. And... But, moreover, it's not only, like... It's not like it's a side project, because it is, like, here are the toys you like at the very beginning and at the very end... And they're just doing... Biz- there's actually one line... This this is like such a... I feel like this is like a Mark nitpick I want to make. But there's a line... I wish I had it in front of me. I wish I'd written it down. That Potato Head just goes like... Good point. And it's like... Did we need to give Don Rickles that line? Like... Yeah. It's just like a weird affirmation line. Where it's like... We have to get Don Rickles' line in. And granted, Don Rickles like dies soon after this. So I guess... Like... I guess it's nice they got on that line. But it's also like... For the flow of the story, we didn't need to cut back to Potato Head. Also, I like the design of Potato Head as a child. Uh-huh. We, what? Like when they put the hat on backwards. Like, at the beginning when he's playing with the toys, when Bonnie's playing with the toys, and she goes, my kid wants ice cream or something like that. And Potato Head's just there playing the baby, like the kid. Mm-hmm. And it's like, his head's on backwards, the mustache is gone. And it's just like, that's funny. Like, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah, there is... It's funny to imagine It's funny to imagine Don Rickles' voice coming out of that character design. They should have given it to us because it would have been funny. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's frustrating to me where, like, I also don't fully believe that you should give yourself over fully to, like, other people's perception of you. I think that the film... Which is the message know, that's short. Yeah, and then the whole... I mean, in that, in, in that way, like, the short is about why can't Trixie conform... But there are little nuggets in there that make me think like, oh, this could go another way. And then, you know, the rest of the short happens. And then it's like, oh, well, I mean, that's nice if you can, like, give yourself over to other people. But, like, or not, you know. I don't know. It also just exists in such a realm where it's like, it's different if it's like its own thing and it's all doing it. But there's also this mad scientist character who wants to control everyone. And it's like, okay, I feel like it's just exists in this weird... And also the fact that we don't check in on him at the end is so weird to me. You know, post-play. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is this dangling hole that this guy is no longer in charge? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is one of those things where I'm like, I'm just glad there was a story that strung us along from one interesting set piece to another. It was nice. It's nice to anytime that anything like condenses all of the cool parts of Attack of the Clones somehow into something shorter and less like rambly. That pleases okay, me. Who is Dexter Jetster in this? Dexter Jetster. Dexter course, Jetster lives in all part, of us. All the best parts. Of, well, you just told me this includes all the great aspects of Attack of the Clones. I saw no Dexter Jetster. Dex, maybe, maybe you were the Dexter Jetster. Imagine all if there was along. a scene where Buzz and Woody just walked into a diner. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Wow, there's no dinosaurs in here." And Dexter Jetster comes out and goes, "Woody, Buzz." <laughs> mm-hmm. Well. That should be like the ones because you know people are always like, why doesn't Disney just force like their IP in the Toy Story? Um, that's something that I remember coming out when Toy Story Four was like. Can you imagine if like Marvel and Star Wars are in Toy Story Four? And it's like that would suck. But can you imagine if Dexter Jetster action figure showed up in Toy Story Four? I think everyone would cheer. Like this is the only Star Wars toy we're having pop up in this. It's a vintage Dexter Jetster who lives inside the um, antique store. Mm-hmm. You know, an antique from two thousand and two. Yeah. Well, I'm about ready to wrap it up. All right. Here... Mark loved this short film, and I think it was garbage. Let's have that on the record. Uh, I liked parts of it. I'm a Scrooge. Uh, here at Looking for the Ocean, we like to give film thing films things. You know, in a lot of shows, they'll give a film like a star review or thumbs up or something like that. But we like to physically give the film something, like a gift that shows how we feel about it. And I think... For, I mean, for me, the gift is kind of obvious, but I, you know, let's see like a Battlesaurs TV series animated by Studio Trigger. So it would be like a reboot of Battlesaurs, and it's in the present, and we get like 12 episodes of that, and then never again. And then that's great. That's what I want to give this. It's more a gift for me, really, but. I hate the cat in this um oh i love the cat actually Uh, we didn't talk about the cat i think the cat is great that's terrible the cat is hilarious to me i love that the cat cat is is not explained i love that when they're being like taken to be thrown in the pit they take the cat and the cat has a horn and you think he's gonna like play some kind of war like kind of thing and then he plays like a christmas song while they're being dragged off into the pit because that's all that the cat knows. I love the cat. I think I think that it's great that you can take someone who's fully... It's kind of almost like an anti-Christmas short in a way because the cat is there to emphasize the joke of it not being a Christmassy place, you know? I would like to give this short film... Um, I'm trying to think of the right actor for it. Give me a second. Boo, 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 boo. I'd like to give this short. Yeah, I'm just gonna go with my gut, even though it still doesn't feel quite right. I'd like to give this short Peter Capaldi, um, because I feel like whenever we see a Toy Story character who is like you know alive and unable to speak, particularly not like Bullseye, where Bullseye's clearly being an animal, I feel bad for it. And I feel like the sock monkey in this could have used a voice that would be funny. And I imagine now just Peter Capaldi's voice coming out of it. Like Malcolm Tucker, just like this, this fucking, this fucking dinosaur. I can't do an, a Scottish accent. 
Yeah, man, that's, I can't believe I've never I'll, actually I'll, like watched full episodes of that show. I really need to. Yeah, I've only seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. But now I give you an excuse to put Malcolm Tucker in the thumbnail, too. So there you go. There we go. Danny, what are we doing <laughs> next time? Uh, well, next time is a very special episode for us. We are doing a crossover episode. Caleb S. Bunn's former podcast co- uh, guest and my co-host on the Snub Club, he has another show called Star Wars Therapy. And we're doing a crossover with them about strange magic. Alright. This is a film directed by Gary Rydstrom, who directed Lifted. It's a detour. And the reason we're crossing over with them is because it is Lucasfilm's last original project that isn't a, like a Star Wars project. Mm. Um, and also George Lucas like I think it was their last project I think it was something where Disney got stuck with it when they bought them you know what I mean like they had to finish it and put it out type of thing yeah so is George Lucas's last real involvement with Lucasfilm well it's an animated film for girls that's what I was here about it's like he wanted to make something for girls and he made Strange Magic so okay we're gonna see how that turned out for him alright <laughs> well Looking for the Ocean it's produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent the show is edited by it's Julius Jefferson. No, it's going to be me this time. The show is edited by Mark Young. Julius will return when he's not editing videos for Time Magazine. Our original artwork was... I imagine that as like the Marvel logo where it's like, Doctor Strange will return. Yeah. <laughs> Julius will return. Our original artwork was designed by Sarah Knopf. Follow us on social media at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod. And Twitter at Pixar Journey and on our website, looking for the ocean, You can follow me on markyoungperformer.com. I think that around the time this video comes out, I'm going to be finishing my uh, play Dunson. This video. No, oh, well, I don't even. What, Julius? No, no, no. This is about me. Uh, and then my next thing is going to be a production of a play called Mr. Marmalade in mid January. So you'll see some posts about that pretty soon. Cool. Um, my name is Danny Vincent. Uh, you can follow me. Sorry. Did you forget <laughs> your your links? Uh, I was editing the schedule because I realized we forgot to add something and I should have been paying attention. Anyway, you can follow me, Danny, at Blankman's on Letterboxd. Uh, you can also check out my play next week in Bedford, Indiana, How Ox Got Her Wings. I wrote it. It's about how Ox got her wings. If you want to know what that's about, well, let me tell you. She has better wings than the cat in this short. Um, anyway, you can listen to my other podcast, The Snuff Club, where we talk about the movies that most Oscar nominations and young We'll see you next time. Bye.